From Montgomery Gentry to Celine Dion and why a certain venue needs a drum cage. Today on the Music Universe Podcast. How's it going, Matt? Oh, I had a great weekend last week. And uh, it's always, always good when you can see two shows in a single night. (laughs) You know, that is really cool. And you are my... Or in a single weekend. Main concert reviewer. Say, yeah, you're you're my you're my little concert reviewer. It's like you're gone every weekend, sometimes all weekend, to see a show. That's got to be fun. It's it is. It's a lot of it's a lot of travel, but I love it. I mean, I'll go out. Being in New York, I can get from here to Connecticut. I can get here here to Jersey. I can get here to upstate. Here to Long Island. Here to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is actually very close to where I'm from, the Sands Event Center, or now it's Wind Creek. There's a bus, there's a couple of buses actually that can go out there um, and come back, uh, just like the bus out to Connecticut to Foxwoods for, for the shows I've seen there. Haven't done that for the Sands yet, but I, I might coming up uh, if they have good people. I just, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I don't know why. It's just escapism. I love listening to music. I love singing along to songs I have on my iPad, iPod that I've listened to growing up. So this weekend was really interesting because uh, I saw Montgomery Gentry, or I should say I saw Eddie Montgomery of Montgomery Gentry, which is the new way of billing it. And they didn't really make an announcement about that, did they? They they didn't, and I think rightfully so. Mm-hmm. It's it's transitional. It it I was talking with their tour manager just on background and I'm sure this is and there were fans right there, so I'm sure this is something he would, would tell anybody. That you know, it got weird. It got really weird. For those that don't know, the, the, the backstory here is that Montgomery Gentry was Eddie Montgomery, whose brother is John Michael Montgomery, so they're a country music family, and uh Troy Gentry. They were together for 20 years as a music duo. Troy would sing the high parts, the harmony, and uh, Eddie would sing the lower, uh, more southern rock stuff. And yeah. um, Big fans, both of us. Big fans. They did some amazing music, one-of-a-kind music, one-of-a-kind duo. Nothing before, nothing since. And just like Kobe Bryant earlier this year, was killed in a helicopter crash. Troy Gentry was tragically killed in a helicopter crash, not too far from where I live. Uh, it's actually, he was killed in Medford, uh, New Jersey, is where the, yeah. the copter went down. So, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that day. I, I was um, sitting at the computer, like I tend to do a lot. <laughs> and uh, Brittany Vance, she's, she's one of our writers, uh, you know, in uh, the Maryland area. She sent me a message and said, hey, I just heard or something along the lines of, I believe Troy Gentry just got killed in a helicopter crash. My heart sank. I was so in shock as the rest of the world was for like two, three weeks, Mm -hmm. even longer. Yeah. And watched his funeral uh, at another job I was at. You know, I, I watched his funeral on my phone yeah while i worked i just i could not believe someone that i 
adored as far as their music goes. And he was such a great person from what I've heard that that happened. I'm like, no, this isn't real. And shortly after she texted me that it, it made headlines. Yeah. And I fortunately had to report it. Yeah. That's one of the tougher parts of this job. And yeah, definitely. It, the thing about it was, is there was a moment at the show where Eddie uh, said, "I'm." He was doing "Lucky Man," which was their only Grammy-nominated song, which I think is a shame because there was some there's some great numbers. Um, well, they have some, yeah. And um, and he just at the end he just looked to the heavens and he was like, "I'm a thank you God, I'm a lucky, lucky, lucky man." And I could see mm-hmm. in his eyes he wasn't talking about the music or the life or the the net worth. I think he was talking about the fact no. that he was not in that helicopter uh, and could continue the musical legacy of their band. Uh, be- that, or he had the opportunity he had with his brother Troy. Yeah, I, I think so too. It just, there was more emotion behind that than just, I've had a great life. It was. Oh man, this- that just, I'm not, e- I wasn't even there and I could picture that. It just tears me up, you know? Yeah. And um, so. Talking with the tour manager, he said it got a little weird because you'd go, and it would have it would have been a while since uh, since the story broke and people kind of the sense I got is that people fans being fans and just going they kind of forget things a little bit, especially if you're just into the music. Well, where's Gentry? This right. is Eddie, but who's Gentry? You know, if you and if you're just a casual fan and it's been a couple of years, you you don't know, so. They started billing as Eddie Montgomery of Montgomery Gentry to sort of move on because Eddie's working on new music. And, but it's still, as far as I'm aware, going to be under the Montgomery Gentry banner. I don't think he has any interest in going solo in without the Montgomery Gentry name behind him uh, because that's how he, he made his living and he made his name as one half of a duo. And sure. the songs need, this is going to sound awful, but the songs need that higher part that he just can't do. Um, and the, the keyboard player, who is the tour manager I spoke to, actually fills in those parts. Whereas a group like a Sugarland, sorry, Christian, it's the Jennifer Nettle show. Sorry. Oh, yeah. You know. But, um, I mean, when, when Montgomery Gentry broke out, Troy was the voice because I mean he, he's the higher I think the higher parts get yeah. <clears throat> more more you know notoriety yeah only because they they tend to stand out more now when hillbilly shoes came out they had I'd say some equal parts yeah. in that song and it, honestly whenever I first heard them I thought because names are crazy I initially thought it was one person yeah and so it didn't dawn on me, you know, until I obviously sat down and got to know him a little bit. And this was before the internet is what it is, if that tells you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so you didn't have all this information at your fingertips like you do now of new artists. Yeah. You know, everything about them before their first single even breaks. And when I found out who they were, I'm like, oh, wow, this is Southern rock. I really like this. This is cool. Yeah. 
And I, I actually met them in Nashville at a number one party for Lucky Man. Oh, great. Super cool guys. Yeah, super cool guys. Uh, I, I got pictures with each of them. And uh, the songwriter, uh, I believe his name is David Waters. Um, he was there and uh, r- really cool guys. Well, and uh, it, yeah. it's just a shame. I never got to tell you this story. Did Troy dro- die on a Saturday or a Sunday? I think it was a Friday. Wait, hang on. I I believe it was a Friday. Yeah, it was. Okay, so... Here's the thing. Here is the... Yep, 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 yep. It was the Friday the 8th. So, September 6th, I met a man. I was at a, I was at a uh, Nashville to New York songwriters thing. And I met yeah, a man. Yeah, you covered that. That's right. And I, I never told this story. I don't even think I wrote this up. I made mention of it. Uh, but in the review, no, because he was still alive at that point. I met the songwriter, Jeffrey Steele, who wrote their breakout hit, My Town. Yeah. On September 6th. Two days. Mm. Two days before he died that was just great that was like holy crap because i had just been talking to him about my town um the song before (laughs) before uh you know we he kind of crashed the interview i was doing with the two people gary burr and georgia middleman uh that run nashville to new york and have great songwriting credits in and of themselves. But Jeffrey Steele, they put him at the end and they did in the round. He stole the damn show. He's just a stellar talent in his own right. And oh, he is. two days before Troy Gentry died, we talked to, I talked to Jeffrey Steele. Never forget that. Never forget that. Oh, that, that's kind of wicked. Yeah. So he, the show was really great, but the venue was really cool. The venue is essentially a general admission venue, but it's brand new. They converted their outside patio area into a huge indoor general admission area. People, before the show, first of all, before the show to this music, first of all, there were three bars, three or four bars in the in the thing. It's my kind of venue. Yeah, so there was a, there was it was a pub. So there was a pub side, and that was open, and they literally had walls blocking off the, the other side, the, the, the concert side. And then it was a pub and then they brought down the walls and there was this big bar that ran all the way through the middle of the dance floor and then one off to the side and then all the way on the other side. People, you should go look at our Facebook video of this. There's a entire like sports bar restaurant, like the square footage of like an entire small restaurant completely on the other side with another huge bar. And then the stage is in front and the stage, uh, is the Michael Judice uh, Del Judas stage, and Michael Del Judice is an instrumentalist in Billy Joel's band, a singer in Billy Joel's band, and has his own Billy Joel tribute band. And he's somebody I want to interview one of these days because his story is phenomenal. And the stage is named oh, after cool. him because he's from Long Island. Yeah. yeah. So before the first band ever came out, people were line dancing already. And I'm just, I literally, I have a leg issue. I was supposed to sit, but the table they gave me, I couldn't see the stage. So I was early enough that I was able to get a 
a place at the barricade and it was a real steel barricade on the floor you know that, that kind of like l bar barricade that you see at these venues and yeah did, did you line dance though buddy no no <laughs> No, <laughs> just ha- I had to ask. I would have had somebody I film had it. To ask. I didn't. I can't dance, I, and I was trying to preserve <laughs> my feet and my energy because I do have actual issues. So I'm leaning against, just watching, and I have the biggest smile. And I kept saying, "What the hell is this place in the middle of Long Island? It's called Mulcahy's uh, Mulcahy's Pub. Fantastic! I will be back. It was amazing. And then a band came out and played for literally longer than Eddie did." The opening, they were a local band, and they did music spanning the decades, and people were still line dancing, and then Eddie came on and everybody paid attention. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, they they made it like a real honky tonk for an hour and a half before Eddie came on to do a show. Was, so dare I say, and I say this knowing the format, but never having been to Billy Bob's, I kind of think it was like a little mini Billy Bob's in the middle of New York. It was really cool. No, that's pretty cool. It was, you know, that's pretty cool. It was more honky tonk than anything that I've ever been to right. in this city. So it was just awesome. Now, how you said they played longer than Eddie? How long did Eddie actually play? Well, they played from eight. Well, no, they played from eight to nine thirty, and Eddie played from ten to eleven fifteen. Oh wow. That's short for a headliner. Fifteen songs, but he hit everything. He really did. There were two songs I wanted yeah. him to do that he didn't do. Um, but what songs? Big revival, and uh, never been good enough off the new Outsiders album. But uh, anyway, yeah, it was it was cool. And then I got to see Celine Dion. Celine. Yes. Tell us about time. that. It was great. She was great. Her voice just cuts through any room. I mean, my God, you could put her into outer space and the whole world would hear her. I mean, her <laughs> voice is just awesome. That's that's a super powerful voice, uh, it's definitely. A, it's an amazing voice. I'll confess I don't listen to her music on my iPod that often. But you know, because you love me, you know it's all coming back to me now. You know my heart will go on. Oh, yeah. I, you know her, I love her version songs. of um, River Deep Mountain High. That's just, she's just such a part of pop culture. I'm sure her tour is one of the ones that was suspended. Uh, if you listen to our other podcast, um, one of the ones that was suspended when all the agencies and promoters got together to say, we're not going to do this. Um, but... Wow. I will say, and this isn't a knock on her, but she seemed, I saw her in Vegas almost a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. She seemed much more sincere in Las Vegas. It's a much more intimate room. Production value was about the same. The production value was excellent, but her sincerity and her ability to level with her audience was better suited in a smaller venue. She has to be a different kind of entertainer in an arena, and I get that, but her moments of trying to seem sincere kind of just came across as platitudes that hmm. were kind of hollow. But other than that, a phenomenal show and I'd see her again. I just, I think that was just a little lost in the translation to a bigger room. And she also seemed to insinuate that, now this is interesting, throughout her 10 years in Vegas, the or at least the, she, she did Vegas from 07 to 09 with the Cirque show called A New Day. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Which I have on DVD and is fabulous. Then she took two years off. She toured the Northeast. Then she, from 2011 to last year, June of last year, she toured. She she exclusively in America did Caesar's Palace in North America. Did not tour. She toured in J- She toured to Japan. I think she toured to uh, France and Europe. But no North American dates for the whole time that she was in Las Vegas at Caesars. And she alluded a couple of times to that. She said, I was locked up in the desert. I don't know how this happened. I can assure you it won't happen again. And I'm thinking, hmm. The journalist in me got to thinking. And I think she just dog whistled a little bit that her contract with Caesars and the promoter AEG may have been North American exclusivity for the duration of her run. Oh, very well could have been. Which is incredible. And you know what? She was raising a family. Her kids are older now, I think. Her husband was sick. I can see wanting to have a home base and and be able to go home. And by the way, she still lives in Henderson, Nevada. Nevada is her home. It's where she raised her kids. So So she so wait, she actually lives there? Yeah. She's not just staying at the hotel? No, she lives there. She lived there. Oh, nice. See, I, I always like that. I, I always like to hear where artists live. It just kind of fascinates me that they choose that place. You know? Well, I, I know Vince Neil and Motley Crue lives in Vegas, too. Well, Donnie and Marie, they lived in L.A. They would take their plane every night to go do the show, and then they'd go home. Or if it was two shows, they'd stay at a suite that was kept just for them at the Flamingo. Uh, oh, I bet. But... Other than that, they like when Donnie was doing the Masked Singer last year, he said, and this is what made me want to go cover him because I didn't know he had that awesome of a voice. Um, when he was doing the Masked Singer as the Peacock, um, <laughs> he uh, he he said once he was unmasked that he was flying back and forth, that he would do the show, tape the show, hop on a plane and go to Vegas every night so that. The schedule was not interrupted and people weren't suspicious. That yeah, because th- th- is that's dedication. An, that is, and it's really cool to be able to do that. And what's, you know, I'm not a fan of that show, but what's kind of neat and it, it really boggles my mind is having the staff not be able, either they don't know who it is, like how do they get these artists there? It's all these celebrities I there. I was reading about it. A car will pull up to their house. They'll go to some third-party location, and or no, they'll a car will get to their house. They'll leave their house in the they'll they'll get to some third-party location, put a mask on. Another driver will show up, put and it's just a silver-plated, just a silver-like visor. Mm-hmm. Take them to the studio. No team, if they have managers there or whatever, the team has to wear masks too, and they have one dresser who knows who they are. And like maybe four people on the production team know who they are just because crazy. Of, the, of the workflow. So, but yeah, that's another that's thing. Cool, I want to get somebody on here to talk about that. Uh, th- that's just a, an awesome workflow. But the point being that yes, Vegas is, is a very accommodating destination, but it also makes me wonder what they paid Celine Dion not to go on tour. But you know, she also probably benefited from it on the back end because she built up oh, pressure. Of 
she built up the same um, a mini kind of pressure that Garth did, where yeah, torn torn so long that people needed to see them because you can have the financial means to pay for a two hundred dollar ticket, but not a eight hundred dollar trip to Las Vegas to see. It's a show. like it's doing it that way is like having an orgasm. You know, it just once once you're free to blow up like that. that one. Well, well, they're exclusive to people coming to see them, and then now they've got this. Everybody's got like this. Buddy, that analogy just... brings a whole new meaning to coming back east. So <laughs> no, just... no. Uh, oh well, get this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, little sidetrack from our previous one. Um. Reba's now shifted to summer tour dates. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, back um, to Celine and your <laughs> orgasm. I'm just saying, it's like the pressure's built up to, to go see these artists. And then now it's like, oh, I get to see them. And th- they're selling like crazy because they've been exclusive right there. You know, they've been holding it back. Basically yeah. is what I'm saying. And now they don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of what I'm getting at. So it's just kind of a funny. Exactly. Pun. No, I get the analogy. I just did. That was not what I was expecting. I know. You to say. That's why I said it. And when you say something dirty, I just have to lean into it a little bit. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, not that that was a dirty analogy. I get your point, but I like making you uncomfortable and I can hear you're uncomfortable. <laughs> No, I'm fine. Anyway. I'm fine. So that was my weekend, and I just enjoy it. Her stage is awesome. I called it like electronic Lego bricks. It's really cool. I don't think she's doing consecutive nights when she, in different arenas, she'll do consecutive nights in the same arena. Right. Like she did Saturday and Sunday at Prudential Center. Um, But she won't do consecutive nights, same arena, because that's a massive load-in. It's a massive, massive load-in. Um, stage is right. just awesome. 18 awesome. song set list, two hour show. Um, and again, I'll see her again and again. Her voice is just amazing. So that is my weekend, buddy. Nice. Oh, well, it, Mulcahy's it, the drums. Let's get back to that. Cause you wanted to debate me on this. And in the last few minutes we have here, let's do this. My one note for this 99.9% of the way their venue is the drums were not contained and it is a small enough venue where I think I could, my intuition, and I've been doing this for a while now, <coughs> my intuition told me those drums should have been contained because there was a little bit of and you weren't right. hearing the full song. You were hearing the bar band version of the song done by amazing instrumentalists and Eddie's voice cut through it. So it was fine. But like, yeah, I shouldn't be feeling the drums in my chest just by themselves. And I shouldn't be seeing <sighs> the platform they're on shaking, you know, like, well, why do you, and you told me the other day, you drummers don't like cages in any size venue. Well, why? I don't, I don't because ah, maybe I'm just, an ass that way, but I when you try to contain the stage volume, I I think it takes 
to me, I think it takes the energy away and, mm -hmm. and it, it may hurt the performance. You know, when, when you're able to just go full force at it and, and enjoy it and not worried about how loud you're playing. I think yes, there, when there's room for the sound to travel appropriately, I'm, when I, I don't yeah, think but this those room cages, is big enough. Those cages aren't foolproof either. I know They're, that. They, they can cause some sound issues. And, you know, a lot of churches use them. I have people talk to me about them constantly. I'm like, eh, I won't play through them. Well, You're just basically telling me I, I'm too loud. I don't think it's like drums. that. I think it's about mixing for the band. Are you in it for them to hear you? Or are you in it to make good music and mix it as close to what the fans remember as possible. If it's about mixing, you're going to contain the drums. You're going to contain your electric guitar if needed by pulling it back on it. The drums are the only yeah, thing where when you strike them, you hear them as is and they, you heard them as is, but they were also coming through the speakers. So drums yeah, are the but only at, ones at, that get doubled up in that way. Well, I mean, I've had people when I've played, I've had people like, well, I'm they'll put mics all over my kit. And I'm like, you're not going to need to mic that snare. They're like, well, I, I've got one on it anyway. The moment I hit that snare and I stop playing for sound check, they're like, oh, I, I cut your snare mic. I go, I told you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I already told you not to do it. So, you know, I, I think it's, it, it's about they can – and I'm not a sound engineer of just my experience with them. It's just like it, it – I, I don't like them. And whatever, you know, I might get backlash for that. Who cares? No, but it's, as, it's a as, as a drummer, I don't like it. I, I just think it you're, you're trying to contain what's naturally supposed to be loud. I think and yes, they, they can fix that because they, they can maybe put a little less drums through the mix because obviously everybody on the stage is going to hear them. But it, it's to me, it's about the the performance and the look as well. If you see a cage on stage to me, you know, unless it's done right, Garth did it right on the 14 to 16 tour. Um, but if you don't do it right and it's just this five shield, five panel shield up there, it looks dumb and it looks tacky. And that's why I don't like it too, because it just doesn't fit right. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you've got to be isolated over here. You have the March plague. So you got to stay back away from the rest of the band because we can't, you can't control yourself. You can't contain this. So to me, it's, I don't know, maybe it's an ego thing. I don't like them. I won't use them. I think Whatever. it's venue dependent. I'm not, I'm not a proponent of cages a hundred percent, but Celine did it interestingly enough. I think on some of the faster paced songs, the drummer would rise up and be on and be, so there was a platform, right? There was about oh, maybe six right. feet in the, six feet above. And maybe more, and it would rise and lower. And he had a digital screen in front of him, about maybe three feet wide, or the length of the kit. And he would be on. He would rise up, or he would rise down, dependent on the, or he would lower down, dependent on the song. So that's, you know, and that was interesting because they were able to maneuver his visibility, and therefore I think his intensity based on the song and to no, me it's I, all I about the music yeah i mean I, I, like i said it, it it can be music dependent too it's just 
you know, you're also there to entertain. And if mm -hmm. you're stuck behind a five panels of plastic, you can't necessarily entertain the best way possible. So right. I don't know, maybe, like I said, maybe it's just an ego thing. I don't know. And, and I'll admit it if, if it is, I, I don't care, but that's just me. I don't like them. And uh, I think uh, if it works for some, great. I mean, well, it's did, not. I'm, did the world? I will tour still cage see. That you mentioned Garth's World Tour Cage. Did that do anything? I mean, it was so open that it. I don't know that it did anything in terms I think of. It, well, I think it was mostly for effects, honestly, yeah. just for looks, because they probably wanted him to feed off that a little bit and for the cage to do things, um, but. You know that worked for him. I mean, it's not like, it's not like I won't go see shows or I hold artists or churches, whatever, against using them. But I think it's just, um, it's just one of those things that if it's done right, it can work. And for him, it did. But for the most part, people that use them, it's just they're not really big productions. Uh, yeah. When I saw most shows I've attended, they don't use them right. because they're the venues are so large they don't need them. But they still have to feed, you know, the, the drums through the PA, obviously. But um, I don't know. It just it just seemed to work uh, for him. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to run. I have another appointment to get to, and we're right about at 30 minutes. So signing yeah. off for the Music Universe podcast, I'm Matt Bailey. And I'm Buddy On. Thanks for listening. Uh -huh.